You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. Today's topic is the 2016 film, Silence. So this film takes place in 1600s, like the 1630s or something, and we follow, at the beginning, we first see a priest named Portuguese Jesuit priest named Father Ferreira. Mm-hmm. He is on a midget doing some missionary trip in Japan, and he is being captured by Japanese authorities, and the people who are Christian followers of he's been preaching to are being tortured. And then we, through voiceover narration, it's a letter he's written, and then it comes back to a um, church in Portugal, heads of the Jesuits, and they have received news in Japan that he has apostatized, which means he's trampled down a foot of the picture of Jesus yeah. and renounced his faith. And he has now changed his name and is um, living in Japan as a completely different person. Yeah, and right. He's taken on a Japanese wife with her two children. Yep. Yes. And these two priests, Father Rodriguez and Father Garupe, and they were former students of his when he yes. was teaching at this church. And they, after convincing one of, the, one of the head priests, they go over to Japan to investigate what happened to him. Because they yeah. don't believe the, the rumors they say they believe is just a rumor. Yes. So we follow them. They go to Macau eventually, and they mm-hmm. get this uh, Japanese war person who's willing to travel them and smug, sort of hide them in the country. Uh, Kichichiro, yes, who was he's sort of a, he's you can tell by just him saying that you're a Christian, he's very afraid of just saying that. Yes, but he takes them to Japan, and they wind up among this village of Christian followers, mm-hmm. and they're very grateful to have him. They do some sort of religious ceremonies, and but they have to hide. Yes, they have they they are holed up in this little house where they can't be they can't even go outside of this house. Right, and. They've asked about Father Ferreira, and nothing yet has... They Most people don't even know who they're talking about. And one day, they decide they need some fresh air. They're tired of being cooped up, and then these villagers see them. Eventually, they're afraid because there is a price of uh, Japanese authorities that if you, know, you give certain information about people who are practicing Christianity or you know of you know, missionaries and priests coming into Japan... Mm-hmm. Then we will give you, I think, three hundred pieces of silver. Yes, or, uh, obvious symbolism. Yeah, there. obvious symbolism. Yeah. And they, they, they're afraid. But then they say, "No, come to our village. We need help too." So they go, and one of the things they do is they find any sorts of religious artifacts. And they give them to him. Like uh, Father Regas has a rosary. Yeah, he gives one person the. Uh, the actual crucifix figure, but he also just beads on the rosary. He tries to hand out so yeah. everybody in the village has something. Yeah, and they're they're all you can tell deep deeply uh, devout, and they they uh, these aren't just merely like talismans or something. They're, they're symbols of their faith, and they're s- symbols of their uh, their uh, respect for these um, for these uh, priests. And uh, it's 
very interesting in that scene. Um, uh, they take that as a token of the uh, the father's um, care for them and ultimately for God's care for them. And what's interesting is when it comes down to, uh, as he's passing out these beads to individuals, Kichijiro is there. And I think he ha- he he refuses to take the beat yes. and because he's deeply ashamed. And as the story unfolds, we understand why he's deeply ashamed because on multiple occasions he has apostatized. Right. Um, and he feels guilty for this because he's in each case he's, he's done it basically to save his own life. And, um, a little late, uh, it's either at that scene or I forget exactly where, but a little later we discover that he did did this, and there's this horrible, just terrible scene where uh, the authorities are torturing people to uh, uh, apostatize. His family members, all of whom are Christian, refuse to do so, and he does. And he recognizes his own cowardice. And it's, it's just eating away at him at the, for the rest of this film. That is the pivotal moment in his life that he doesn't see that he can recover from. But, uh, yeah, uh, very interesting character study, that particular character. Yeah, there is a local daimo and inquisitor. Uh, he's leading investigations into the people practicing Christianity. Yes, and he tells him about the rewards, but he keeps visiting. The priests are hiding. But he, they, one of the things he does says, "I'm going to take three. I'm going to take one of you today. Mm-hmm. And when I come back in a couple of days, either give me the priests, or I'm going to take three more as hostages." Yeah. Yes. And so they don't give up the priests yet, and they, they take three. But one of the things they have to do, one of them they take is Kichichiro. Yes. And. He, what he makes them do is makes them apostatize. And they ask the father, he says, should we do that? And he says, yes, go ahead. There's no shame in this, even though they're afraid. Yeah. So he gets them, he, you know, they stamp on the little figure, a picture of Christ, but that doesn't convince them. They say, you have to do more. And they get a crucifix. He says, spit on this and say very foul things about the Virgin Mary. Right. And that they cannot do. Yeah. Except Kijijiro. And right. He's allowed to go again. Yes. And around this time... They realize that they have to get the uh, Rodriguez and Garupe have to split up. Yes. And Rodriguez has to go on the run again. And Kichijiro, once again, helps him. Yep. One of the things they do when they're on the run, he, Kichijiro gives him food, particularly this fish. Mm-hmm. And it's a very—I'm not sure if they—they they describe it more in the book. But mm-hmm. when Rodriguez is eating this fish, he talks about how dry and salty it is. And he makes him very parched and thirsty. Yes, and then Kichichiro says, "Well, there's a stream right there, a fresh stream. Just go down there, and I'll quench your thirst." And he goes down there, and bef- one of the things he sees himself in the reflection, just briefly, yeah, he sees the uh, face of Christ in his reflection, yeah, in a famous painting. Yes, right, the Christ in the Veil of Veronica by El Greco, right, and he sees that for a second. There was almost a smile on his face. Yeah, but right as that happened. Um, the Inquisitor and a lot of other forces come in, and he is now he's captured. taken he's prisoner. Captured. Yeah, and yes. he realizes that Kichijiro has been the Judas in this situation. He set yes. him up to be captured. Yes, and the, for most of the rest of the movie, because he's still 
he hasn't quite found out about Ferrer yet. A couple people have talked about him, but he mm-hmm. still has, doesn't know what's going on. For the, the lengthy next part of the movie, he is captured, and they're telling him to apostatize, step on the picture. And he doesn't. And he thinks, you can tell that because of seeing that picture, he thinks he's going to be killed, but he is okay with that because... In his mind, after seeing that reflection, he is comparing himself almost to Jesus. Yes. And yes. so he thinks he's going to be martyrs, but they tell them, it's like, yeah, we did that to you guys early on, but we realize that's going to make you martyrs. It's going right. to strengthen your cause. So we're not going to really hurt you that much. We're going to torture your followers. Yes. And even in, they even said, they've, they've when they're torturing, says they've already apostatized. They've already stepped on this. Yes. Yeah, we're still going to do this anyway because it's not you. Right. You have to stop. And he has these, with the Dymo, and, other, and, and it, oh, there's also an interpreter. Yeah. And there's, they say that, you know, they say Japan is a swamp. Christianity cannot grow here. Right. And Rodriguez is saying, well, it's not growing because you're not allowing it to grow. Because yeah. anybody who practices it, you're torturing. And we should bring up that, we'll bring it up later, but there's mm-hmm. historical context why Christianity is so outlawed in japan at this yeah. time yeah if, but then the, the, i just would jump, jump in here before i forget this i mean the the whole uh the whole flow of the story actually serves as uh, uh counter evidence to that claim uh because uh, christianity finds does find root especially among the powerless and the peasants not surprisingly that's uh kind of the flavor of the the uh, uh, the faith um, and they're trying like heck, the daimyo and, and the shogunate are trying like heck to stamp it out, and they're having a heck of a time doing it. And uh, evidence of that is this step they have taken, um, because I think psychologically they're correct in their read of the priests. Um, being steeped in the tradition, they will see any torture of their, their person as uh, putting them in a Christ-like role, and uh, uh, more often than not, they're willing to take on that role at the cost of their lives. But it becomes a whole different uh, ball game when, uh, as they do very cynically and sadistically and cruelly, turn to torture of the faithful. You know, because another um, an, an, another key aspect of the faith is um, the, the the priests. Um, in that kind of Christ-like role, consider themselves to be shepherds, uh, people that are tending the flock, looking out after the welfare of the flock. And the daimyo is intentionally placing them in a position where um, they cannot possibly do that unless they relent and put their foot on that uh, 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 figure of Jesus and symbolically apostatize a terrible dilemma and made even worse by the fact that they've intentionally chosen people that have already apostatized themselves um and not to mention the at least in the the penultimate scene the torture scene or the the, the style of torture they're doing which is a toned down version of what's in the book actually Mm -hmm. but what they what they do is they hang them upside down and Father Fierro t- went through this himself, as he says later in the film. They hang him upside down. They do some incisions right, right underneath the ears, right either on one side or both. I don't remember. And then uh, uh, just let him hang there and 
what happens is you slowly bleed to death, and it'll take days, sometimes even weeks. So uh, these priests are being forced to watch this and hear this as the people are groaning in agony until they relent. And it's a, boy, it's it's just a terrible position to be put into. Uh, Anyway, go ahead. We should bring up the fact that he does find Father Ferreira, and the rumors are true. Yes. And he is talking about his frustrations in teaching with Christianity because one of the things he talks about is an error in translation because when he was talking about the Son of God, it is not S-O-N, like somebody's son. They took it as the actual physical, the the Son. So they say, oh, yes, because they see the Son of God every day. It rises every day. And he talks about the frustration, so that's why... And he's written books and uh, uh, reputing the Christian faith in Japan, talking about its errors. So he's telling him about the torture of the pit, what's happened. And eventually... And uh, Rodriguez has been at this time been upset because he feels Christ has been silent and God has been silent. Yes. That's the title of the movie, The Silence. Silence, yeah. I'm praying to silence. What, you know, are you silent to everything that's been going on, what I'm witnessing? And eventually get to the part where they're bringing him out, they're bringing him down, and Rodriguez uh, Ferreira is saying, you're going to have to do the most painful act of love imaginable. And at that point, he does hear the voice of Christ in his yes. head saying, it is okay. I know you've suffered. Right. Go ahead. And then he finally apostatizes. Right. And then slowly, we should bring up also that um, Garupe died earlier on during a scene when he's trying to save these other yeah, Christians who are being tortured. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, um, Rodriguez is forced to watch Garupe. Yes. Right on the shore. And what they what they do is take some of the believers out and wrap them up, and then throw them in the water to drown. Right. And uh, they they. Tell him kind of the same thing they do with Rodriguez. We'll stop this once you apostatize. And he 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 doesn't, right? But he does try and swim out and help yeah, and he the people. The and well, he's he's actually poked under along mm-hmm. with the, the believers with uh, prods and drowned. So he dies. Um, so he never apostatized. So the central ethical question for Rodriguez is uh, later in the film. Um, is it kind of, what's the word I'm thinking of? Is it uh, almost self-indulgent of me to refuse to apostatize? Um, And on the other hand, given that I have stewardship responsibilities to, to the community of believers, do I have God's permission to do so in order to save their lives and allow them to avoid this horrible torture. And he's got that question on his mind through a lot of this film until that key, that key scene yes. where we apparently hear the voice of Christ telling him, I understand, go ahead and do it. You know, essentially giving him the message that the stewardship responsibility overrides the fidelity responsibility to your faith. Um, and the question arises there. It's kind of an interesting psychological question with this film is, is this, and granted it's only a film, but uh, the question arises, is this genuinely the voice of Christ or is it maybe some sort of a, a projection of um, uh, his desire to resolve the dilemma in a way that will uh, um, alleviate his guilt for 
um, uh, uh, apostatizing. That's the question. And it, it, it doesn't resolve it for you. No. necessarily we follow no. after yeah he apostatize he goes through what father ferrer has done after that. Yes. he starts working with ferrer his beard has been shaved he's been cleaned yes and he's wearing traditional japanese clothing yep and his main task along with ferrera is whenever there are foreigners coming into japan or traders mainly the dutch it is the dutch it's the dutch east india company yeah. and what's interesting about the history here is the portuguese and the dutch were the primary traders with japan the 1600s, and they always had to kind of negotiate that fine line between, uh, as it were, importing too much of their culture, Christianity, among uh, among the things they were, the Japanese were worried about, uh, uh, too much of that 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 would um, uh, essentially cause the powers that be to cut off their markets, right? Mm-hmm. So what they we see these two doing is something that is interestingly bureaucratic in a way. Um, they have to look through all the items that the Dutch are bringing over for trade or sale. We're not clear if they're selling these things or trading them. Um, but they have to look over every item and uh, declare it either Christian or not Christian in, in imagery and so forth. So they're doing this, and they're apparently doing this job very, with, uh, very conscientiously. Now, during that scene, I, I think that there's an interesting kind of tension and I think that this is on, on purpose as well between Ferrera, Father Ferrera, or I should say former Father Ferrera and former Father Rodriguez. When those two talk and Ferrera tells the story and shows the slit behind his ear, we're never quite sure if he apostatized uh essentially to save his own life or if like rodriguez they had applied the pressure the the added pressure to uh of uh forcing apostasy upon him in order to save the flock right it's not real clear with ferrera but it is very clear with rodriguez yeah and the tension between the two characters i think there is rodriguez essentially is thinking you know I had an overpowering. There's just some things you cannot allow yourself to do. I had an overpowering justification for what I did. You, on the other hand, you tell this story of discovering through your kind of scholarly work afterwards that uh, Japan is not good soil for Christianity. Well, we both know that's not true. And so you tell me this story that... There's that translational ambiguity that they take son, S-O-N, to mean son, S-U-N. Um, and that comes across to me as Ferreira rationalizing his choice to save his own life. Because the evidence is overwhelming throughout the film. And uh, this is historically accurate, that um, Japan's actually pretty fertile ground for Catholicism um, to the present day. Big, big catholic population in and around nagasaki which is kind of where this story takes place um so i find that that well, tension between those characters to be interesting Interesting. the last scene we see ferrera ferrera before it's implied that he's passed yeah. on he says the word our lord when they're having sort of discussions and rodriguez says did you just say our lord yeah. and he kind of goes i doubt it and then he walks away and it's implied that he's passed on later yeah but then we see um, Rodriguez, you know, as he's going on later in life, 
He's now taken a Japanese name, and he still has to regularly apostatize. Yes, that's and, the other indignity here mm-hmm. that is accurate. The Daimo would, once people apostatize, this wasn't a once-only deal. You had to go on a regular basis, go back, and kind of submit yourself to this humiliation. And you can kind of uh, see it in, in uh, Rodriguez's case. He's never comfortable with this, but he does it. Um, and even... even uh, the poor character, uh, Kichijiro, uh, he doesn't feel well about it, but he does it every time it's asked of him. And then uh, uh, his tragic end, as, as you're probably going to say here pretty soon, mm-hmm. um, he slips up. He's always, you can see he's always a Christian, but he, he always uh, considers himself a coward for protecting himself, you know, even to the point of turning in uh, Rodriguez for for the silver, which he claims he never picked up. And notice the film doesn't show him picking it up. Yeah. Um, but uh, nevertheless, he's always, he's always maintains his belief in Christianity. And he's always, you can see, uh, very, very forlorn about what he's done, regretful and so forth, but unable to, as it were, summon the courage to, uh, as it were, sacrifice himself um, for the others. And that just eats at him tremendously. So, you know, that last scene where they discover the uh, small piece of Christian artwork, iconography, right, Mm -hmm. um, on him, um, that he slipped up. And that's his last straw. And they take him off and we don't see him again. Yeah, then the very end it talks about how Rodriguez is older in age, he's passed on, and there's a funeral pyre being built for him. And the last scene is... As the fire is being built, we go. We look, we shoot, look inside, and we see cradling in his hands is one of the wooden crucifixes that was given to him when he first arrived in Japan. Yes. So it's implied that even though he's renounced, you know, publicly renounced the faith, apostatized, he's you can tell he never truly in his heart uh, yeah. renounced it. And, and, and that uh, he, we can see even later on that he was still having those conversations with with. Uh, Christ, or at least what he thought he was doing. Yes, and you know, so it, it, it's interesting. I don't think any of the people ever entirely lose their faith, regardless of the pressure they've been put under. Again, countervailing evidence to this uh, claim by the daimyo, the inquisitor, that um, uh, Japanese uh, culture does it is not uh, uh, good soil, as it were, for uh, Catholic yeah. Catholicism taking root. Yeah, we should bring up the the historical context of why, you know, any missionaries who came to Japan at this time received the torture, and there was so much torture of anybody practicing Christianity, is that time there were Portuguese Jesuits, and early on, there really wasn't that much of a problem, but Mm -hmm. there was the uh, Shimabara Rebellion in 1637, and many, they blamed uh, rebellion against one of the... um, was it the shogun's shogunates? Well, it was uh, against a feudal lord. Feudal lord, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the feudal lords um, were daimyos, actually. They were uh, below the shogun in the political hierarchy, who were then ab- below the, the emperor. But, um, yeah, that, that rebellion, actually, uh, is good evidence of cross-cultural uh, commonalities in, in, in human experience in terms of politics, because... Uh, uh, the actual cause of that rebellion was the local daimyo, and I'm not remembering his name. Actually, there were two. 
uh, his father, and then the, the guy that uh, put down the rebellion was after him. This was around 1637 to 1638. It lasted about a year. And um, uh, the cause of the rebellion wasn't uh, anything to do with cultural contamination from Europeans, not at all. Um, because, as you say, the Catholicism was already in the area and nobody was having much trouble with it. But what this guy was doing to try to impress the shogunate and uh, consolidate power for him and, and influence for himself was what politicians very often do is uh, do lavish spending on uh, allegedly uh, public, public interest projects. Well, the public interest project that this guy was lavishing his money on, or should I say the uh, um, uh, community's money on, was uh, essentially uh, uh, his own castle. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this was allegedly a public service. Well, as with any uh, government, the only way you're going to get money to spend is if you tax your people. Well, they were taxing that heck out of these peasants. And the peasants, just like Americans, you know, we we fought a revolution over this, right? They said enough is enough. And they uh, recruited, um, interestingly, uh, Europeans and uh, some um, uh, uh, other people that were former feudal lords who had fallen out of favor to help them. So there was this rebellion. And it lasted about a year, and it was essentially it was eventually put down. Well, uh, the uh, the daimyo who was really at fault here um, uh, isn't naturally going to blame himself for what happened because the shogunate wasn't too happy about it either. You know, you've got a rebellion; can't you control your people? What's going on here, right? So he blames the Catholics, and uh, about a year later, he actually the corruption got so bad with him that he was actually put on trial and executed by the shogunate. Um, but that's, that's the uh, context here. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in the aftermath of that rebellion. Yeah, it's explained a little bit in the book, but they yeah. don't really go into that background. In yeah. The movie. So the inquisitor here, um, I don't know if he's supposed to be that exact same daimyo that uh, was lavishly, but he was certainly uh, an ally of him. And he goes to great pains to make his case, you know, that we're just, we're looking out after our culture and we're, we're removing this uh, European influence. And you must understand that uh, Christianity can never put roots here uh, so far. Uh, these are essentially rationalizations for exercise of raw political power and terrorism. Um, and you see, that's a, a, a thing I find quite interesting, but a difference between Rodriguez and uh, Father Fiera is uh, Fiera is at least mouthing these same um, these same arguments in public. Although you're right, he does make reference to the Lord, and he's apparently not really lost his faith. But he has uh, uh, made the uh, uh, prudential choice to act as if he has and take on that role of the intellectual uh, in, in Japanese culture essentially to protect his own hide. And I, and I, I think he's having trouble dealing with that. He, it's eating at him. So he's not all that different than Kikichijiro. Um, and uh, uh, he does it. Kichijiro does it. Rodriguez does it. Um, but none of them actually lose their faith, right? And uh, 
this, the, the, the other interesting thing, theme I think comes up here is not only, as you referenced early, earlier, the, uh, the problem of God's silence amongst all of this suffering. This is an old problem, the problem of evil. Uh, why does God allow evil to happen over the long term and with uh, clearly innocent people who are also believers, right? So that's one form of silence that this film is exploring. But there's also this other one, and it's probably unique to Christianity. The idea that um, uh, Jesus is God taking on human form and the ability to suffer, and not just suffer, but suffer in the place of other people, right? And uh, Rodriguez, at one point, uh, thinks, well, you know, he wasn't just merely being silent as if he didn't care. He was suffering along with me, and he's suffering along with these, uh, the other Christians here, in silence, taking on their burden, so to speak. That's the other sense of the word silence I think this film is exploring. Um, it's comforting in a way, but it's not comforting in the other way. Is you don't explicitly hear Jesus say, don't worry, I'm there with you, right? But it, it's part of the experience. And you... You know Rodriguez wants to hear that, and, and probably Fiora did too, and Kichijiro as well. Um, but you don't quite hear it. And the one time you do hear it with Rodriguez, um, we're left not knowing whether that's actually Jesus or some projection of wishful thinking on his part. Yeah, and we talk about how they talk, they say how they talk about Japan's a swamp, it can't grow. We've this, we should mention that this was based on a book. It mm-hmm. was by Shusaku Endo, Japanese author who is practicing. Still, he Catholic. lives in Japan, and he is a. He, I think he's dead, but he's a practicing Catholic. Yes, and we and like interesting. We talked about Catholicism in, in, in Japan, Japanese media. We previously uh, talked about two two uh, different films, Japanese animated films. One was Angel's Egg, a very kind of more avant garde uh, yeah. film, but with a lot of mainly references to Noah's Ark. Yeah. And there's also a character who carries this crucifix-looking like weapon. Yes. And then there's we also talk about Tokyo Godfathers, which takes place during Christmas. Christmas and yeah. you know has three uh, uh, homeless people carrying this baby through the streets and trying to get it to safety. So you still see that Christian imagery. We should point out because this is directed by Martin Scorsese. Scorsese, a lot of his films deal with Catholicism, Catholic guilt. He made a movie about Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And. Um, <laughs> But it is is interesting is at the end of the film he says for the Japanese Catholic uh, yeah. Christians are Catholic so it is they talk about how it is a swamp but you can still see that there are still people practicing it oh didn't yeah go, it didn't go away like they said even though yeah. yeah Buddhism is probably still the more dominant religion there there are still people who follow that faith yeah and again uh, the strongest possible countervailing evidence to that uh, argument the daimyo was making we clearly see that that was an argument he made primarily uh, for political reasons and whether or not he believes it we don't know but the whole movie is strong evidence that he is absolutely wrong about that and the the strongest believers in this film are not the europeans 
because they, uh, uh, every last one of them apostatizes. Garupe never did, but the other three do. And uh, uh, a vast majority of the Japanese believers in the film don't. We should point out yeah. that they, the authorities do mention that there is an island of still a good number of Christian followers, but they say they just will let them do it because they feel the roots have been cut off and they can't grow. Yeah. And we should point out, like, even with among these practicing Japanese Christians, they don't even have the traditional services of, we would expect here, like a church, you know, a confession booth, uh, like Bibles. They, they don't even have a Bible. No. So they, they're yeah. keeping this faith, even though they don't have the resources that, you know, many yeah. practicing Catholics or Christians would have in here. And they're, they're actually very much more like very early Christians, where it was an underground movement. And it was a great risk to be a Christian in the prevailing, uh, you know, political culture. In that case, Rome. In this case, um, uh, took, uh, just Tokugawa shogunate, right? Um, and they're forced underground, and they're uh, very fervent believers. Um, again, uh, stronger in their faith, and interestingly, than these uh, European fellows who have grown up in the tradition and are educated do have the Bibles, and so forth. Very interesting. Now, and I, I think the reason is uh, there was su- such a promising ground for Christianity there was because, uh, by and large, these people were peasants, and they were uh, uh, always at the mercy of people more powerful than them. And uh, one of the stronger uh, elements of the Christian message is, is for the powerless. And um, Christ provides at least least comfort, um, maybe ultimately vindication for the powerless. Um, So it's not at all surprising, I think, that um, it found found an opening in Japan, uh, despite what the daimyo says. And you you see this, you... It really had that influence of like what like foreign relations in Japan f- for the next two dec I mean two centuries yeah because it was they were isolationists like outside of you know trading with the Dutch they really had no contact with other countries yes and it really wasn't until um, Matthew Perry mm-hmm. one of commanders in America you know he said he finally got them to open up and start trading with other countries and yes. they had the um, the Meiji Restoration in yes. the 1860s and that how that changed Japan. Yeah. But, um, okay, getting close to the end of my questions here, um, anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up? I did want to bring up, because this is directed by Martin Scorsese, and it is this un- sort of unofficial faith trilogy he's done. He did Blast Temptation of Christ, obviously, about Jesus. He mm-hmm. did um, Kundun about the Dalai Lama, the most recent Dalai Lama, and he did this movie... And you, this is a film he'd been making like the next two decades, almost three decades, trying to make. Yeah, starting in the early nineties. Yeah, it? I believe yeah. it was right after it was. Yeah. Well, Ige was given a book by Kurosawa. Yes. Yeah. Right. That book, and he decided to make it. And it's interesting because I think Scorsese now is most known as the guy who trashed superhero movies. <laughs> and you, but you just, it's you see that how much passion and heart he puts into these movies, and yeah. how he'll he'll make a movie and if it takes him decades. And it, I, I kind of always agree with him because then you see the movies he's talking about and you can see the low effort being put into those. Oh, yeah. And they'll still make 600 700 maybe even a billion dollars. And 
I kind of agree with him. I think he's kind of right. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he, he takes his time and he churns out quality products. And, you know, this is a great meditation, this thing on the problem of evil and on faith. And uh, all the more impressive because it's told in, uh, uh, in, in the confines of a foreign culture in Japan. And, and that novel is fantastic. Um, and he does a heck of a job. It's very, very carefully crafted, I think. I think they... If I'm not mistaken, they filmed this thing in the Philippines. Um, but um, he creates a, a very uh, ominous, not quite paranoid, but fearful in, uh, environment for these characters to live in. They are, uh, they're looking over their shoulders, the Christians are looking over their shoulders all the time. And I think he, he really amplifies this visually in the use of, rain <laughs> there's a lot of rain in this film um but there's a lot of grays and blacks it's almost Fog even though it's too. a yeah even though it's a color film this thing strikes me as a black and white film and the atmospherics is are fantastic and uh he, he was very careful i think with uh uh casting the actors for this i think he did a wonderful job the guy that plays kichiro is just excellent in his portrayal of the pathetic cowardice of this man and how terrible he feels about himself but also the guy that plays the daimyo he's just a thoroughly creepy guy slick guy he's kind of got a weird lisp to the way he talks in his english you can see he's well educated but you can see he's a thoroughly cynical and heartless person willing to do anything uh, to get these guys to uh, apostatize so that he can turn around and use that for population control. And he has no qualms about it. He has no qualms about killing people to do this. He has no qualms about doing that horrible torture hanging upside down for days and days and days. He is a completely inhumane, heartless person. And who that actor really pulls that off. You just can't stand this guy. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale, where you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, which episode that dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a Jesuit.